0: You're about to listen to something special, a mini-series in which Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future, focuses on one particular topic over multiple episodes. We'll start with something nearly all organizations need in one way or another, sales. Engaging the expertise of BCI, Baker Communications Incorporated, will look at sales leadership from a variety of angles. The first episode covers the most fundamental, assessing your sales team. Stay tuned. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with leaders to co-create a thriving future. With me on the show today is Joe DiDonato, the Chief of Staff for Baker Communications, a leader in sales training and transformation. Please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, Joe.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, I started off in the world of consulting many years ago when I joined Oracle Corporation. Ended up running their worldwide education group. Had a great team, and we grew it from $2 to a $100 million in four years, so it was a great success for us. I've also worked on the VC side of things. I've helped launch 21 educational or ed tech companies that were pretty successful. That's a little bit about me.
0: Thank you. Also with us today is Allison Duquette, The Chief Revenue Officer at Campus Logic, a SaaS software company that helps over 750 colleges and universities make enrollment and financial aid processes more accessible and inclusive for all students. Allison, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure, thanks, Maureen. In my current role at Campus Logic, I'm responsible for the entire customer lifecycle. And then I own the customer relationship post sales, so the end to end relationship with the customer. And my entire career has been in enterprise technology companies, and I'm delighted to be here today to talk to you and Joe about some of the challenges in sales management and best practices to address those. Thank you very much. So our
0: theme today is building a productive sales team. Too often, we promote our best sellers into the role of sales manager, but that can be painful and a double mistake. The skill sets are entirely different. So we lose a top seller and most likely gain a marginal coach. Today, Joe and Allison join me to discuss how organizations can reimagine the process of hiring and promoting sales staff. Let's start with you, Joe. In your Forbes article, you talk about some statistics about salespeople and their managers. Can you share some of those and talk about the differences in their roles?
1: Yeah, sure. They're really two different skill sets, Uh now that we have a, a slew of data to look at, we know that only one in seven sales reps can be successful as a sales manager. In fact, when we look at the sales managers out there, because they've all come from the seller role, the individual seller role, we find that 18% of them shouldn't really be in that role and another 34%. So you got 52% of the people that shouldn't be in the role. The other 34% is can not be up-trained. So we have one of the most key positions in our mind suffering from that malady. It made a lot of sense. I mean, if you're a corporation, you think, well, this person's our number one salesperson. They must know where, you know, all the rocks are in the stream. They must know what a good customer looks like. They understand our product and they should be able to do it as a manager. The problem is the skill sets are, are very different. At the uh, sales manager and sales exec level, you're you're looking for management and coaching kinds of skill sets instead of individual seller kinds of things. And that's where I think we've gone wrong. In the past, we've promoted our best people. And unfortunately, that causes two problems. You lose your sales. And at the same time, you gain somebody who may be just a marginal player. In the article, I, I was pointing to you know the difference between Tiger Woods and his dad, who was his coach. His dad used to know where his strengths and weaknesses were. There was a picture of his dad looking over his shoulder. It was when he was on his way to his first Masters. There was a lot of comments around what was he saying to him. As a good coach, he knew that when Tiger was charging, he tended to tighten up his grip and and really swing hard and that sort of thing. The speculation was his dad was saying, okay, loose hands, play it off center. He had a downhill putt. And he ended up sinking it and going on to win the Masters. But his dad just knew how he operated when he was charging full ahead. That didn't mean that Tiger's dad was a better golfer. But he was able to spot those weaknesses, have Tiger focus on those things when it was important. So that's the difference in the skill sets between the seller and the the sales manager, our estimation. And the other thing we know is five out of six managers can't carry the bag. They wouldn't be as successful.
0: So I want to draw the distinction with leadership coaches as well. Just the idea of coaching. There are people who are exceptional leaders. They don't know how to teach leadership. And then there are people who also know how to teach leadership who you don't want leading your organization. They are, in fact, distinct skills. And when you are looking for someone to help both teach and coach your executives, You may do a combination of something like a mastermind or a peer group and also work with an executive coach like you're talking about, in this case, the sales leader who understands the skills of coaching, not just the skills of leadership. So what's the cost of finding these people? And I'm also curious, how do you find them?
1: Yeah, maybe I'll I'll just give you some of the statistics that we've uncovered. Generally, If you're a corporation that has million dollar quotas sitting on top of your salespeople, the cost of replacing a salesperson is going to be pretty high because it takes 6.2 months, we've discovered, to replace your average salesperson. So what does that mean? That's lost opportunity costs. So in a a territory, you're going without a person in there for 6.2 months. So you're over half a million dollars right there. The entire cost of doing that includes the recruiting costs, which is usually runs around twenty-nine thousand, another thirty-six thousand in, in training costs. So the cost of losing a sales rep is huge. Promoting them into a sales manager position causes the same problem. Today there's ways of finding people from using big data warehouses that are out there. We utilize one that has two point one million people have gone through the assessments and it helps to find the strengths and the weaknesses. And, and that's how we, we look at it. And we can see where folks go. In fact, Allison is, is a user of one of these systems. So she might have some things to add to that.
2: Thanks, Joe. You said a, a number of things that resonated with me. One of them is that you tend to look at your top salespeople and think that they will make top managers, but that's not always the case. And a lot of times you, you're making a big bet with a very, very valuable asset and it can come back around on you in two ways. Like you said, Joe, you lose the seller that you had that was such a star and you end up with the manager that's not making the transition. And how do you know that in advance before you make that decision? Because it is a big decision and it's going to have long-term implications as you just pointed out. And the other thing is, even when hiring reps, how do you look at something that is more empirical than the typical just interview questions that we all are experienced with to give you a better sense of if that person's going to be successful in your company specifically we typically rely on looking backwards into somebody's prior success and making conclusions and assumptions that that prior success in another company in another territory with another product line with another team, is somehow going to be highly transferable to your company, your product, your sales cycle, your market. That is definitely not true. Sales is very situational. You can have somebody that is having tremendous success because they've been in a territory a long time. They know everybody in their territory. You bring them into your company and they're not able to replicate that. As sales leaders, we want to know what can we look at that is objective and empirical that will augment their past track record and let me know that they can be successful here. So we've moved from just using what we thought was a very rigorous, structured interview process, lots of reference checking. We still certainly incorporate some of that information, but we've put an assessment that goes in very early in our process now so that we can dive into their basic motivation, their coachability, their sales DNA, their sales competencies. And that gives us something that is far more objective and also lets us know when we're doing the interview, where should we be focusing our time? And so that's been a big improvement for us. We're still interested in your past history, but we're very interested in whether that past history is gonna translate into success in the future.
0: Joe, can you tell us about BCI's assessment? Because having taken it myself, I found it to be incredibly valuable as the recipient of the data. And I imagine if you were the person looking to hire me, it gave you a great deal of insight about how I would fit in your organization. Should I get interviewed? If you made the hiring decision, also how you would coach me to manage my weak spots and leverage my towering strengths, Yeah, if I
1: have any. No, you did. And we wanted to interview you (laughs) for the sales job, but you're, you're taken there's just so many people that have gone through this that it has a 91% predictive validity. What does that mean? It means that, you know, if if the data, not us, if the data tells you to hire the person, then we've also found that that person has a 92% chance of being in the top half of your sales team. If the data tells you not to hire the person and you say, well, you know, I've worked with them in the past and they're great, and I think I'm going to hire them anyways, you'll find that 74% of those people will leave in the first six months. I mean, that's how strong the data is. We always worry about the other 9% or the, you know, the other 25%. But I'll tell you, one of the hardest things you'll have as a manager is really to interview a, and pick a salesperson. I mean, they're all good at, at selling themselves, right? That's the nature of the job. It's whether or not some of these hidden things like their motivation and their willingness to follow through, how they even buy, those kinds of competencies impact their sales. We like this tool because not only does it help us pick and hire the right people, it makes the onboarding process a lot smoother. We know what their weaknesses are. So instead of doing this one size fits all, let's teach them all negotiations, let's teach them all closing skills, prospecting, and wasting their time in a classroom. We can just really focus on, on what they're lacking and keep it to a shorter time to peak performance for them. Allison is, is a customer. She can tell you whether that worked or not.
2: Absolutely. It's been an enormous improvement in our overall sales hiring and onboarding process, incorporating this empirical assessment really at the very front end of the process. So an initial screening with a recruiter taking the assessment, and then making the determination, is this a person that looks like they can be successful, and therefore we should go through all the next steps to interview them uh, with the various people that they would be talking to. What we have found is that every salesperson can probably talk about what a sale looks like. Doesn't necessarily mean that we can put that into practice, or that we have the you know sort of fire in our belly to get through the the tough, times in a sale every sale is a process and it's going to have ups and downs and one of the things that i've really appreciated about the assessment is that it's drilling into some things that you can't necessarily see when you're just talking about somebody's competencies things like your absolute personal motivation are you a person that is willing to do whatever it takes to be successful if you're encountering obstacles Are you a creative problem solver? There's an aspect called figure-it-out factor. Are you going to think about how I just get past this obstacle, or are you going to make an excuse? The assessment also has an aspect called responsibility. If you are not successful in an opportunity or in a series of activities, are you going to take responsibility for those things and modify your approach? And these are the kind of things that it's really hard to get to when you're just talking to somebody about what they've done in the past and how they approach a sale from a you know sort of a process perspective and so having that information up front is absolutely crucial if somebody's got a low level of motivation and a low level of commitment then their competencies are not necessarily going to be useful for you you need both of those things and it's easier to teach somebody the competencies if they're highly motivated and highly coachable than it is to go in the reverse direction, which is almost impossible. So putting a, an empirical assessment in has truly been transformative for us.
1: You even had an example of somebody that worked for you in the past and didn't do so well on that on the assessment. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about that.
2: I've had a couple of instances of that where somebody that had been very successful for me in another company takes the assessment and the results come back and, I was really astonished and in fact I had a sales manager that had also worked with this person and our first inclination was kinda try and talk ourselves out of it well here's why this person wouldn't have done well in the assessment and then we had to step back and say wait a minute we're trying to sell ourselves on something that we shouldn't be selling ourselves on it gets back to sales it's very situational person had a great deal of domain expertise in their prior company They'd known the clients that they had for years. They had a very well-established territory with lots of references. And that is a different scenario than they were gonna be walking into here at Campus Logic. And so while they can be successful in the prior organization, it was definitely not going to set them up for success here.
0: So do you have any stories of someone that you thought was a don't hire? The assessment said bring them in and they were successful.
2: So we're putting the assessment very early on. We're screening out those people that you just mentioned where they would probably not have made it through the assessment. In this case, everybody that we're seeing is a viable candidate. And so you may
0: still, if someone does well on the assessment, the probability of hire is much higher, but you may still go through the interview process and say, for some reason, this one is a no-go.
2: Sure. It could be a cultural fit issue. It could be a stage of the company issue where you have somebody that's coming from a very large company you know we're a very rapidly growing company but we're still in the grand scheme of things a relatively small organization they just may not feel like the right fit from a personality standpoint so there's a lot of reasons that somebody that could be successful may not continue through the interview process but the great thing is we're no longer talking to people who we get five minutes into an interview with a manager and we realize oh my gosh this person is is a non-starter we're talking to the right people and then we're winnowing down from there and what i'll say the results are is the people that we've been adding since we put this process into place are going through the onboarding process faster they are building pipeline much faster and they're closing deals a quarter or two quarters earlier. So for us, they're cutting the sales cycle in half. And that is an enormous win. And we're not having those those total misses where you think you've got a rock star and they're here six or nine months and you think, oh my gosh, they sounded so good in their interview and they are a train wreck.
1: Some of these things are, are hard to evaluate. I mean, responsibility. How do, you, how do you ask the right questions to pull that out? And that's why the science behind those assessments really helps us. In my last blog post for our company, we had to talk about some of those DNA factors. The last one I talked about was taking responsibility. I used an example of someone that had great responsibility and did well. I was uh, teaching returning military and veterans. A lot of them came back and the the kind of jobs they were in was uh, Burger King cook or, you know, security because none of their military training really applied. This one young man I let in, he had he was 10-year cook for the Navy. He impressed me so much that I comped most of his tuition into the class just to give him a shot. He was working at Burger King in the, in the city of Boston, and he had to drive up to where we're 25 miles north of that Wilburn to take the class. He used to take the bus, it's two bucks each way from the city. Days when he didn't have the extra two bucks, he rode his bike in, and it was a twenty-five mile trip each way. We knew it when he got there. Obviously, he was soaked, <laughs> and he never missed one day. Well, the good news was he was the first guy to get hired for my very first eight-week boot camp, teaching him this this sort of stuff. Guess what his starting salary was? Ninety-five thousand dollars. How do you know that a person's going to score like that and be that responsible? It's a hard thing to figure out. You know, we were so proud of him. And then he's now the manager of of his section. He's got that same drive. No matter what's thrown at him, he's going to get around those obstacles and be successful. How do you get that out of of an interview? It's very hard.
0: It looks like the assessment gives you the data that gives this 91% assurance rate. Yeah. So that has to translate to return on investment. Allison, you were saying- that the close rate is twice as fast. So does that mean that actually the sales rep can work on twice as many deals?
2: More deals because they're going to have a faster throughput, bigger, more complex deals. So I would say there's a couple of places where you're going to see the return on investment. You're going to see it upfront in the hiring process. You're going to be using your valuable manager interview time with people that can be successful and are going to have a very high probability of being successful. And you're going to focus the time in the interviews on the right things. So nobody's perfect. When you see an assessment, there's going to be some things that come back and and they may be yellow as opposed to green. And those are the areas that you can then go into your behavioral interviewing and say, tell me a time when you encountered this and how did you solve for that? So you're going to end up understanding more about that person in a shorter time frame with lower investment in terms of the managers and the company folks that get involved in that. Then, as I said, you get a faster onboarding period and you get to close business faster so they can run more deals in the course of any one year. So that's, that's a big win. And then Joe mentioned this earlier, the cost of replacing a salesperson, he said 6.2 months. It can be much more. So, when I look at, for instance, my business, our typical sales cycle is around 270 days, and we think our onboarding process is in the 60 to 90 day range. So, if I end up with somebody who doesn't make it after six or nine months, not only am I underperforming for the nine months of that million dollar quota they carried, but now the new person that comes in is going to go through that. 60-day onboarding plus my sales cycle so I'm now looking at more like a year and nine months of missed revenue there So now I'm talking about close to two million dollars of underperformance in a territory It doesn't take but one mistake to cost you a lot So being able to avoid even that one mistake has a gigantic return on investment hiring and getting people onboarded and productive helps the entire organization.
1: Yeah, even turnover, just to give you another point, it would shock most HR people to know what the average turnover rate is for sales reps. In our industry, it's 35%. You would have a heck of a problem. That's the average. We've uh, bumped into companies that have had 50% turnover rates. Can you imagine the cost of replacing all those people on that kind of a churn? It's a real problem.
0: You've talked about, sales people then there's the sales manager and a poor hire there i'm assuming is much more expensive because then you're at risk of losing your sales people and also the impact of the sales manager so can you talk a little bit about how you're using the tailor fit tool to hire sales managers
2: as joe pointed out it is a different skill set you You don't want just somebody that's a super sales rep that's going to jump in at the end of the deal and close everybody's deal. You want somebody that has got the inclination to develop people and who knows how to coach and who knows where to coach. One of the things that we know is that a lot of coaching is on the end half of the deal instead of on the front half of the deal. And by the time you're negotiating on the price, if you haven't done a good job on that front part helping your rep understand how to align your solution to the problem, how to demonstrate value, then you end up competing just on price. So making sure that you're hiring managers who are inclined towards coaching, who want to spend adequate time doing it, who understand how to explain things to team members, but aren't going to jump in there and try and do the deal. They're going to be enablers those things are all able to be identified through empirical data in the assessment and I've seen the same results with hiring sales managers since we put this assessment in as I have with reps so it's delivered very very significant ROI to us and putting it at the very beginning of the process is essential and people ask me all the time when's the right time to get a sales assessment in your process and I would say right before you hire your first person in your sales organization. Do not wing it. Go with something where you can see data as you start talking to your candidates.
0: To get more tactical then, for our listeners who haven't used this kind of data before, this kind of assessment, say you decide you want to do it. What do you need to do? Call Joe? (laughs) There's a process here that you use to administer across your range of candidates. Tell me a little bit about how that works.
2: Calling Joe is is a good starting point. So it's easy to start. I signed a contract in the morning and I was using the link in the afternoon, but there's a, a lot of professional development that surrounds this entire process. So it's not just getting the report, which is very extensive. You get a, you know, kind of a very graphical dashboard that scores people in various aspects of being a seller or a sales manager and then you get about a 25 page report that will help you target your interview however you need to make sure that your sales managers understand what those actual dimensions mean what the questions that they should use to probe in some of those areas are and we start now with a coaching plan then we also used it for our existing team members. We had a goal to have individual growth plans for everyone. And by doing the assessment with the people that were already here, it helped us focus in on the two or three key skills that we felt would most move the needle for them. And we have seen dramatic results. And in fact, I'll share one right now. We had a gentleman that was very new to sales. He was having a hard time sort of getting the motor running. And so we honed in on just a few areas that were not his strength being comfortable talking about money being more assertive in keeping the momentum going and he this quarter has had an absolutely stellar quarter big deals coming in quickly he's in control so we're seeing the results in so many areas that are so easy to measure know, the, the job satisfaction for folks has also gone up because they can see now how they're positioned for success going forward.
0: Thank you, Allison. I'd like to learn more about your real world experience here, but our time's up. So please join me for a second episode and we'll dig deeper into how assessments can be misinterpreted and Joe, how Baker Communications learned that coaching is the secret ingredient to maximizing assessment success. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Thanks for listening, and please join me, Joe D. Donato, and Allison Duquette for the next BCI Distinguished Sales Leader Series episode on Innovating Leadership, Co Creating Our Future.